Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. All right, Nick, I got a good one for you. We are gazing at North America from the stratosphere, okay? You with me? Music swells, and suddenly we zoom in on a newspaper in front of a suburban house. The homeowner steps out to pick it up on her way to the mailbox, but wait, who's that coming down the street? It's her mail carrier coming to hand off some letters to her in person in the front yard of her house. I feel like you're pitching me the least dramatic movie that anyone has ever seen. It might seem that way at first, but it is dramatic. This is actually from a video that the Postal Service produced to show how it works. Uh, Because when you really stop to think about it, a remarkable confluence of events had to occur for that postal worker to be handing off a bunch of mail from various parts of the country, maybe even the world, to that lady in front of her very own house. It is a huge operation. And by the way, it's a government operation. When someone sends a letter, it enters a system already at work that most people never get to see. I was interested in how does this government agency uh, deal with millions of letters and parcels every day and get them to the right person, you know, across a vast network. This is Allison Marsh. And I'm a history professor at the University of South Carolina in Columbia, South Carolina. And I was a former curator at the National Postal Museum. The United States Postal Service is getting a lot of attention lately for being in financial jeopardy and tussling with a president who thinks that it should pull itself up by its own bootstraps. In order to understand how the USPS got to this point and to this kind of a relationship with the government, I needed to understand how and why this institution came to be. How it's even possible that there is a service that can and will deliver objects to every home in this country. So let's jump in. I'm Hannah McCarthy. I'm Nick Cabadice. And this is Civics 101, a show about the basics of how our democracy works. And today... Let's go behind this wall and see some of the work the post office does. We're figuring out the mammoth creature that is the U.S. Postal Service, which, as it turns out, is a service that helps to make our democracy work. It's from the Constitution. This was something that was written into our founding documents that you have the right to this service, that you have a trust. They guarantee your privacy. Right. The Constitution gives this power to Congress, right? To establish post offices and post roads? Like a literal road designed to deliver mail? Yes. That is how important mail delivery was to the framers. They wrote it into the supreme law of the land. They also focused on the idea that you needed to have a network to move information for uh, you know, for the sake of democracy, that you needed to be able to get the news to people up and down the East Coast. The idea of uh, we need to have a functioning postal network to have a functioning democracy. And it was about more than just moving mail around. Our postal service had this key feature 
wasn't going to open your mail. A postal network existed in colonial North America prior to the establishment of the United States. Uh, but there were problems with it. One of the key problems was the fact that the British uh, Postal Service could open your letters and read them and, you know, look for things like, I don't know, revolutionary materials. And so um, the idea of having a postal service that you could trust um, to maintain your privacy was something that the founding fathers really focused on. Wait, hold on. The British government could just open your mail willy-nilly? That they could. In the U.S., first-class mail, that is, mail for personal and business correspondence, is pretty soundly protected. With very few exceptions, the government needs a warrant to open your mail. So our mail system kind of represents uh, one of our earliest tenets of American democracy. You have a right to information and privacy. And these days it also means equity of access. The USPS is the only delivery service committed to reaching every home in America. The mailman knows everybody in the neighborhood, and everybody knows the mailman. But it wasn't always that way. Initially, mail was only delivered from post office to post office. If you wanted to get your mail, you had to go to the local office, and there was no residential delivery. This changed actually in the mid-19th century, where they started having city free delivery. So that's when you have the first uh, letter carriers where people would bring the mail directly to your house. And that was great if you happen to live in a city. Less great if you lived in um, rural America. And in the mid-19th century, the majority of Americans lived in uh, rural, rural lifestyles. So uh, we didn't get rural free delivery until the beginning of the 20th century. Country delivery is called rural delivery. So the rural mailman's route is called an RD route. R and D are the first letters of rural delivery. Allison says that even when we did get rural delivery, it could be pretty uneven. It was all about geography and terrain. In Manhattan, you might get your mail four times a day. But in rural Alaska, it might be once a week or a month. Uh, but over time, the institution expanded wildly in order to provide greater convenience and connection to a nation's citizens which I think is like pretty radical. And it took a lot of innovation, like the postage stamp, for example. Initially, you would go to the post office and you would um, ask if you had any mail and you had to pay on, on delivery. So you'd, you'd pay to pick up your mail. So the invention of the stamp is the idea that you can prepay and your letter will get there. Meanwhile, Jimmy is buying a stamp for the letter. The money the post office gets for stamps helps pay for the people who work in the post office and for other costs of sending the mail. So before the stamp, the receiver had to pay to get their mail. Yeah. So the stamp was this incredibly simple but kind of ingenious way to pay for the mail. Quick aside, who designs stamps, by the way? As I was looking them up on the website and I saw they have a series on Voices of the Harlem Renaissance and Arnold Palmer and a silver coffee pot. Yeah, so uh, the Postal Service works with various art directors who work with professional artists. They design about 35 stamps a year. And the guidelines are basically the art has to be about positive stuff in American life and history. But that could be anything from like 
a positive event to a pretty flower. Uh, and if it's going to commemorate somebody, that person needs to be deceased. Okay, moving on. Another simple, clever thing. The invention of the mailbox is another thing. Um, mailboxes weren't required until 1916. Um, before that, you know, the, the letter carrier would actually knock on your door and say, hey, you have mail. And uh, an efficiency study said that, the, that they were losing up to two hours a day just knocking on people's doors. And so they're like, we need to fix this. I love to imagine this boardroom is full of post office executives that are brainstorming like, what are we going to do about this door knocking problem? And suddenly someone stands up and like, it might sound a little crazy, but so crazy it just might work. What if everyone put a little box outside of their house? And that's like how everyone in America gets a mailbox. Also, Nick, zip codes, those are fairly new. They were invented by the USPS in the 1960s to make delivery more efficient. Delivery by air was largely figured out by the post office. They also helped to pioneer optical character recognition. That is where a computer scans writing, including handwriting, in order to sort the mail. So the answer to how the post office became an institution that delivers to every doorstep is that they spent about 200 years inventing clever ways to do it. Right, the post office is a giant system that has enormous needs. Hey, something that you take for granted that, you know, on the person to person basis, it seems, you know, a pen and a piece of paper that you hand to a person that then gets delivered. They don't realize how much technology is built into the post office. And so it's a great combination of both the personal and the individual person to person embedded in a highly complex technological system. All right. You mentioned at the top of the episode that the post office is having somewhat of a hard time these days. And you're describing what sounds like an institution that costs a lot of money to operate. So where does the money come from? Yeah, the Postal Service is one of a, a handful of independent establishments of the executive branch. And it's one of perhaps a couple dozen government agencies that is self-funding. This is Kevin Kozar. He's vice president for research partnerships at the R Street Institute, which is a think tank in Washington, D.C. Uh, you might recognize him from our episode on the Federal Register. Welcome back, Kevin. So Kevin says the United States Postal Service is part of the executive branch and that it is self-funding, right? But what does that mean? That is, instead of each year Congress reaching into the Treasury and saying, here's your money, government agency, use it to do what we tell you to do. Instead, the Postal Service covers, or is supposed to cover, its operating costs through the sales of postage. Didn't you say earlier that Congress is in charge of establishing offices and roads for the USPS? I did. And to be clear, Congress does still have power over the post office, even though it's an independent agency of the executive branch. Oh yeah, if they wanted to pass a law saying the Postal Service is abolished, they could do it. The Constitution, as you know, Article 1, Section 8, says that Congress has the authority to establish post office roads. It says nothing more than that. So Congress has a really free hand to design the mail system 
Uh, and if Congress decided one day we just don't need a mail system, it could just zero it out. But it wasn't always this way. The United States Post Office is less than 50 years old, and by that I mean the independent office. It used to simply be the post office department of the executive branch. It used to be just a standard government department, you know, like uh, Department of Health and Human Services. In 1970, that changed, and it changed because the post office was breaking down. It was losing money, its functionality was not good, they had terrible management, worker relations. Uh, there was a wildcat strike that actually shut down parts of the Postal Service while Nixon was president. And uh, so they decided they needed a new model. A wildcat strike, by the way, means that unionized workers go on strike without authorization or approval from union leadership. And when that happened in 1970, Nixon deputized the National Guard to deliver the mail. It didn't work very well, and the whole system was crippled, which was a major catalyst for Congress passing the Postal Reorganization Act. This struck the post office department from the president's cabinet, made it an independent agency, kind of like NASA or the CIA, and took away the red tape and regulations, but also said that it now had to cover its own costs. The hope there was that it would force the Postal Service to operate more efficiently. And it did. The model worked pretty darn well from 1970 until about 10 years ago. So when our economy took a huge hit in 2008, mail volume plunged. Now, historically, drops in mail are temporary in recessions, but this time, uh, things didn't really bounce back. More people and businesses moved to electronic communication. Right, and it's much harder to self-fund if you got less mail. And there's one more thing that is putting a strain on the USPS. Our country, we have more and more people with each passing year, and those people live in different places and more addresses. Um, and that just by its very nature means that the Postal Service has a bigger and bigger job to do each year. So even though there's less mail, more packages, of course, but less mail, there's also more places to deliver to? Right. And the thing that sets the U.S. Postal Service apart from other delivery operations is that they actually deliver to everybody. Companies like DHL, Amazon, FedEx, they contract with the Postal Service in order to make sure packages can get to areas where they don't deliver. Now, consider what that means when it comes to a time of crisis. Remember back after the 9-11 attacks, we then had a series of packages with anthrax sent through the mails. That triggered a policy change. And the Postal Service, under an agreement with a few other um, executive agencies like the Department of Defense, have an agreement that in the event of a national biohazard type attack, that the Postal Service would be uh, the vehicle for getting people the medicines they need to stay safe. They have that network. So the Postal Service is a kind of frontline responder when people across the nation need things. Yeah, and they deliver to every home. So in some cases, a postal carrier could be the only contact that an individual has, especially in rural areas. So the USPS facing big financial trouble is a problem for everyone. With so many people and so many businesses who rely on them, what would happen, theoretically, if it went away? 
Um, there's a lot of societies built on the post office. Um, as we already mentioned, you know, private parcel delivery companies, they don't want to go to every single address. Uh, and they hand off parcels and pay the postal service to carry them the final mile. There's a lot of people who are going to be cut off from the economy. They're going to face very formidable prices if they live in remote areas. Uh, second reason, voting by mail. Uh, more than 20 million people uh, got election materials and voted by mail. And we know in an age of COVID, that number is going to skyrocket. Right. Yes. Uh, I've been reading a lot about this in the news lately. During a pandemic, the presidential election could be completely dependent on the Postal Service. Not to mention census documents, stimulus checks. Yeah, which brings us back, I think, to the ways in which the Postal Service upholds this democratic system. There's been talk of privatizing the post office, for example. You know, having it go fully independent, not a government agency at all. I asked Allison about this. Right now, the USPS is mandated that every single citizen um, pays the same rates. So it does not matter if you are in rural, you know, Montana or the Dakotas or Wyoming, you will pay the same, at, you know, price that, you know, someone in one of the big cities on either coast will pay. Now, it does not cost the same for uh, mail to be delivered in highly dense urban areas that it does in rural areas. So right now, the system is set up to subsidize the rural areas. And if we privatize that, will those Americans still have the same access? Because it costs a lot more to go that last mile than it does to do the sort of nice city block. Here's the deal. Kevin says that it's really unlikely that the post office is going to be fully privatized. And I can't remember finding a member of Congress who really believed we could privatize the Postal Service. Um, not all of our parts are on the same continent. <laughs> you know, We have Hawaii out there. We have Puerto Rico. We have Virgin Islands. Um, and then never mind trying to get mail up to Alaska and all the logistical challenges there. The idea that is somehow going to be easily handed over to the private sector and they're going to do it and turn a profit, I think is pretty fanciful. Well, what do you do then when you've got an essential government agency that is in serious trouble? This is where we stumble into another essential component of a functioning democracy. Compromise. There's going to have to be a conversation about how do you reform the Postal Service they're going to have to cut a deal and it's going to have to do something to address the fact that the Postal Service's costs outstrip its revenues year after year. And I, I figure that the post office is going to see some major changes one way or another, right? Uh, I just read that a new postmaster general was appointed by the USPS governing board, a supporter of President Trump, the first postmaster general in decades that was not a career postal employee. Right. And also, of course, we are in a time when the president is questioning the future of the USPS. There's also a many billion dollar bailout filtering its way through Congress. So it's probably not going to come to a crashing halt or anything, but it seems like it may experience some serious growing pains in the coming years. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I, I guess the important thing to remember amidst all of this change 
and chaos is that the USPS is, if nothing else, an innovator, right? It's figured out a lot of massive, impossible-seeming situations. And importantly, it has managed to remain a beloved institution despite lots of setbacks. This is another thing I asked Allison about. Why, if we send so much less mail, if we're all pretty much addicted to digital technologies, if this agency is struggling so much, why is this nation so committed to it? What is it about the mail? Throughout history, uh, there has been both a love for the post office department as well as for the, the, the people who work for the, the postal system. And if you think about it, um, your letter carrier is most likely the person that you, in the federal government, that you have the most you know, intimate relationship with in that you can see your letter carrier every single day. You might know his or her name. They might know, you know your dog. They might check in on you. Um, from the very beginning, uh, the post office was likely the, the first federal building in any given town, and it was your link to the federal government. So it is what kept you in, you know, in touch, not only with your friends and your family members, but with your, the only contact you may have had with the government. So I feel like that commitment is built on centuries of this trust and duty that works. The United States Postal Service is, despite massive shifts in organization and operation, an entity that is as old as the country itself. It might have problems, but it's always been a problem solver, too. So what the USPS will be in the coming years remains to be seen. But it is probably going to figure out a way to be. So with our ever-increasing volume of mail, we have some very serious problems. But we are solving them. We are making real progress. Welcome to your United States Post Office Department. 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 Today's episode was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, with Nick Capodice. Our staff includes Jackie Fulton. Erica Janet communicates exclusively through letters written in an indecipherable shorthand, but we're going to figure it out one of these days. Maureen McMurray is the one who started the whole snail mail chain letter thing. Thanks a lot, Maureen. Music in this episode by Unkin, Asher Filero, The Great North Sound Society, Jesse Gallagher, James Pants, Patrick Patrickios, and you know you missed me, Chris Zabriskie. Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.